This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to ask you a question this morning. If, if you could limit the whole season of Christmas, if you could for a second, down to one word, what would it be? And most of us were like, Jesus, it's like Sunday school answer, come on. Like, we all know that. It's what the answer I get on the way home every Sunday from church. Hey, kids, what'd you learn today? Jesus. Next week, what'd you learn today? Jesus. Good answer, guys. You get to go to Boston Pizza. All right. Okay. Um, but if you could limit it down to one word, what would it be? Some of us would think peace. Maybe some of us would think joy. Some of us aren't thinking joy this Christmas. Maybe some of us are thinking love. But I want to narrow it down to one word today that I want to talk about, and it's the word hope. It's the word hope. I honestly believe that what we saw in some people's homes yesterday was, was hope on display. I don't know about you, but you cannot be a part of an event like yesterday and Friday night, and midweek shopping, and the prep of it, and the admin, and the phone calls, and the conversations, and not feel this overwhelming sense that Jesus wants to give hope to people today. I don't know about you, but we're living in a day and age where hopelessness is becoming the most prevalent thought in our culture. Some of you this morning are sitting in this room right now listening to me speak and you're feeling hopeless about this Christmas. And there's a wide variety of reasons as to why you feel that way. I'm not necessarily going to address every single thought this morning, um, but what I want to do is I want to I help us kind of transform the way that we see the hope of Christmas this year. J.I. Packer says it like this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable, and so that 33 years later, He might hang on a cross. Our hope this Christmas is Jesus. So that's pretty simple. Yep, that's all I got for you today. That's all I got. Sometimes the most profound messages that we could ever hear are the most simple. For God so loved the world that He gave. What did He give? His one and only Son. That person who was most precious to Him. God gave His best so that we could experience His best and have hope in our lives. I don't know about you, but I believe more than ever before that the church needs to be a conduit of hope for this world. Because they don't understand hope. What they understand is circumstantial happiness, but they don't understand hope. Amen? Um, I want to jump in just to, to kind of set us kind of on the straight path this morning. I want to actually start with the definition of hope. I'm going to start with Webster's Dictionary kind of definitions, and then I'm going to kind of translate it into a more of a biblical perspective um, but one of the things that I found as I was looking into the dictionary definition and then more of the biblical concept of hope is that there's, 
some pretty big distinguishing differences between both. I'm going to just highlight two main phrases that Webster's Dictionary definition talks about. The first one is this, that hope is a feeling that what is wanted will happen. How many have ever had that? Hope's a feeling that what is wanted will happen. That's what hope is. We're hoping that something happens, right? The second one is that it is a desire accompanied by expectation. A desire accompanied by expectation. But there's two words in these definitions that I want to just kind of pick out for a second and share with you because they're, they're a little bit concerning to me. And I think it severely weakens our biblical understanding of hope. The first one is the word feeling. How many have ever had a feeling? All right, how many have ever been led by their feelings? Okay, yeah, the rest of you are lying. Get your hands up, all you people. How many have ever been led by your feelings? Okay, how many have ever made some really bad decisions because of your feelings? How many have regretted things because of your feelings? All right, all right. There's still three of you that we're going to have an altar call for you. Yeah, yeah, I see you. You're trying to hide behind the chair, but I see you. You may think it's darker in here, but I see you. And Jesus sees you. If we base hope on a feeling, then I want to present to you a thought this morning. If, if hope is simply a feeling, then we are doomed for disappointment. One of the most concerning philosophies of our culture today that at times keeps me up at night because of how concerned I am about this culture is the idea that every decision, every fact is based upon how we feel. The problem with feelings is they change depending upon the season. They change depending upon the circumstance. They change depending upon how well you feel about yourself today. I don't know about you, but that's not anything that we can ever anchor ourselves to. It's not trustworthy. It's not unshakable. It can change with the wind. Feelings are shallow and dependent upon the circumstances this morning. So I want to give you a scenario like this with regards to feeling. If a girl says, well, I hope my boyfriend gives me a ring this Christmas, does that feeling bring about hope? Well, for Zoe, it does. Stand up. Shine off the ring, shine off the ring. Obviously, we all just learned today that Austin listens to Beyonce. Anyhow, all right. Okay, we knew it. Congrats, by the way. Countdown's on. To grandbabies, Jeff and Rachel, come on. We'll get past the marriage, we'll get past the wedding, we'll maybe get, what, two years in, and then little babies coming in. Cameron's a great name for a little guy, just wanted to say that. All right. But feelings are not trustworthy. The second word that I'm concerned about in this uh, dictionary definition is the word desire. How many know that your desires can actually be rooted in only what you want? And sometimes our desires are actually contrary to uh, the betterment of everyone around us. We can say, I hope I get this job. It's a good desire. 
Not necessarily wrong, but does that guarantee that you get the job? No. In other words, we have to be anchored to something else. So the biblical definition talks about two things that are completely contrary to probably the way that you've ever understood hope before. The first is this, that hope is an expectation based on the one who promised. And second, hope is an expectation based on the promises of God. Well, that changes it up a little bit, doesn't it? Well, that kind of removes our feelings. How many know that feelings are real and sometimes we're going to feel things even towards God, both positive or negative, depending on what answered prayer has happened yet? Right? But this changes it. But I want, to be, I want you to, to be encouraged this morning that you cannot break God's promises by leaning on them. Sometimes we have this picture that if we lean on God's promises too much, that somehow that crutch is going to break. It never does. You can lean on God's promises. R.C. Sproul said it like this, Hope is called the anchor of the soul. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises that God has made. I love that. So it, asks, it begs us to ask a very simple question. What are we or who are we anchored to? Who do we have our hope in or what do we have our hope in? Is it relationship? Is it a new job? Is it a better career? Is it money? Is it health? Or is it the promises of God? So today, we're actually going to do a little study on the principles of hope found in Scripture in the Christmas story through two individuals that not a lot of people talk about at Christmas. Simeon, a devout man, and Anna the prophetess. And we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read the entire story to start with, and then I'm going to come back and kind of pick it apart. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21, and it says this, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, you think, you're going, we're going to talk about circumcision at Christmas? Are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me? Hey, it's in the passage. Don't, don't throw things at me. It's there. All right. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves. And you always have wondered, where in the world did the 12 days of Christmas come from? It's right there. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And, uh, oh, come on. There you go. It's all in the Bible. All right. A pair of tur uh, turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus um, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Verse 38, And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him to all of those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, Uh, They returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So I want to share with you guys this morning three simple keys to understanding how your hope in Christ can be fulfilled. Very simple this morning, and I'm going to kind of flesh out these thoughts a little bit, but I want you to understand some key principles that are hidden within this scripture. I'm going to Start with key number one. Hope must be made holy before it can be seen. I'm going to explain this. Say, okay, that's a great line. Let's tweet that. What does it mean? All right. I want to read verse 22 and 23 again. It says this. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. You have to understand, these are two individuals that were waiting their entire life to see the Messiah. That's what they were believing for. They didn't want to die until they had a chance to not only see, but also feel, touch the Messiah, that that child that would come and save Israel. That's what they were believing for. So you have to understand this morning, that there is a process for our hopes. In order for them to be seen, they first have to be made holy. I want to explain it like this. Holy literally means to be dedicated, consecrated, or set apart for God's purposes. It's dedicated. It's consecrated. It's set apart for God's purposes. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time any of us thought about all of the things that we hope for and passed it through the litmus test of whether it's dedicated to God? Would it pass that test? Would it get through that test? Is what you are hoping for dedicated, consecrated, and set apart for God's purposes? Because one of the things I've seen in Scripture is that your promises or the promised land that God's calling you to is dependent upon it. Hopes just don't happen because we're nice people. I wish that was how it was, but it's just not. Hopes happen because we've dedicated our hopes and our dreams to God. 
And because our hopes happen, we know that they are in connection and in alignment with the plan and purpose of God for our lives. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, just to give a little context on this passage. This is, uh, for those that remember watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or watching the Prince of Egypt in 97, um, the Israelites have left Egypt. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And for the first time in their existence, they literally come right beside the very promises that they all hope for. It's called the promised land. Some of us have already got predetermined promised land thoughts in our head. A promised land is a relationship restored. It's a, a financial breakthrough. It's a fill-in-the-blank. You all have them. Okay? And Joshua stands up before the congregation and downloads to the nation of Israel what he's already been downloaded to by God. And he says this, Joshua told the people in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The promise of God was the promised land. It was right in front of them. But it could not be experienced until the people purified themselves, purified their thoughts, purified their hopes before God. I've seen a number of people that have come to me in the last ten and a half years and have come to me and upset, being honest, and frustrated sometimes with God because of what they seemingly think of as unanswered prayer. And it's hard for me as a pastor to flip that around and say, but are those hopes from Jesus or are they from you? Because if they're from you, then it's on you to make them happen. If it's in Jesus, it's inevitable. It will happen. Are we tracking here this morning? So hope must be made holy before it can be seen. Jesus was made holy before Simeon and Anna ever felt that baby in their arms. We tracking this morning? How much of us is wrapped up in our hopes. How much of Jesus is wrapped up in our hopes? Why is this important to understand? I want to share with you a principle that I've learned the hard way many times. God has no interest in sanctifying or purifying a situation. But He has every interest in purifying and sanctifying you. Here's what I've learned. The moment your heart's right, the circumstance amazing, amazingly figures itself out. Not necessarily right away, but oftentimes. So our hopes need to be anchored not in our feelings, not in our desires, but it has to be anchored in Jesus Christ, the one who promises, the one who is ever faithful to those promises. Amen? Second thought is this. Key number two. Hope directed by the Holy Spirit will never disappoint. Everyone say amen to that one. Luke chapter 2, verses 26 to 29, and it said this, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I want to just be really, really honest this morning. The reality is, is every one of us in this place this morning has a story where a human being has let you down. We all do. I do. You do. We all do. Some of us have done it towards each other. Some of us, it's a group of people that none of us know. Maybe someone from a previous city you lived in or a previous life or a previous church or a previous job or previous whatever. But you have to understand, this is true for all of us. We will always be let down by somebody. Sometimes situations didn't turn out the way we had hoped. How many have ever gone into a situation and you've got a preconceived idea in your mind of how this whole scenario is going to be played out over the next number of months? And then it never happened. As a matter of fact, it's probably worse than what you would ever wish to happen to anyone else. It was awful. But Romans 5.5 5 says this, Now hope, hope, God's hope, Jesus' hope, does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's been poured out by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope directed by the Holy Spirit will never disappoint. Ever. Let us faithfully proclaim that kind of hope. Amen? So again, we have to ask ourselves, who's the author of our hopes? Not just who do we have our hope in, but who is the author of our hopes? Who's writing those hopes on our heart? Who's got the pen? Amen? Who has inspired our hopes? If it's the Holy Spirit, He will not disappoint you. Romans 15.13, I love this. It's near the end of the book of Romans, and Paul's kind of ending some of his thoughts and kind of bringing together some of his thoughts to the church in Rome, and he's really expressing his heart for that place. And he says this, Now may the God of hope, one version says, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it again. It's so good. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may be, uh, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 62 verse 5 says it like this. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. That's where it's hidden. It's hidden in Christ. Beth Moore, great author, great communicator, said this. He says, notice the word hope in Psalm 62 verse 5. She says, the Hebrew term literally means accord as an attachment. Every one of us is hanging on to something or someone for security. If it's someone or something other than God alone, you're hanging on by a thread, the wrong thread. Our hopes are like a thread. They're connected to someone or they're connected to something But we must choose who they're attached to. We have to choose. Attach your hopes to the only one who will not disappoint you. It's the Holy Spirit. Let Him speak to you this morning about the hopes that Christ has for you. I don't know, there's something beautiful about hope. There's something really beautiful about hope. But there's something even more beautiful 
when God gives you a picture of what hope truly is. There's something so much more beautiful when the Holy Spirit deposits an idea in your heart that you know never came from you. It's so much easier to hang on to that hope than it is anything else. Amen? I know for Sandra and I, when we first came, I mean, it, we had a lot of awesome times in the first couple of years of our church. Uh, it was awesome. It was a wild ride, a wild adventure. But there was a lot of moments in that first two to three years where we were like, yeah, um, Lord, you know, if you just want to call us somewhere else, we're good with that too. But you know what kept coming back? This is your home. This is your place. This is your city. And I'm going to give it to you. I know that didn't come from me because I know that I couldn't do any of those things. So what have we been anchored to for the last ten and a half years? God called us here. God has empowered us to be here. God has called us to build the kingdom here. God has not asked us to go anywhere else. It's the king's town that God's called us to extend the kingdom. You know what's really freeing about that? Is the things that would tell you to give up hope or the things that would tell you to pack up and leave don't even register in our brains because we're not anchored to how we feel. We're not anchored to our desire. We're anchored to something that is immovable. The promise of God given by the Holy Spirit through Christ. Makes it easy. We don't have to struggle trying to figure out what that's all about. We just relax. We receive. We trust. We hope. Not in things to change outwardly. Because we already know that the changes happen inwardly. So we trust Him in the process. Amen? Third thought. Hope is always redeemed. Another word to say redeemed is to buy back, but I'm going to explain it. Hope is always redeemed in a place of peace. How many, have, how many are desperately holding on to hope when you don't have peace? The problem is, is hope is now... I'm trying to think how to word this. Hope is distorted when you don't have peace. And your feelings and desires very quickly take over and become your hope when you don't have peace. So you have to understand, God's desire is to redeem or to buy you back with His hope so that you have peace in the midst of those situations. Verse 36 and 38 says, there, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers every day and every night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him to all of those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The word redemption or redeemed literally means to buy back. So in this particular case or in this particular passage, it literally means that you get to cash in what you've hoped for when you're in a place of peace. You get to cash in what you've hoped for when you're in a place of peace. Think about Anna's life for a second. Her entire hope for her life was in seeing the Messiah. That was it. Sounds like a pretty good thought to me, right? 
The Messiah was the one who would restore and redeem and buy back Israel. That was the whole concept. But in the midst of the wait, she grew older and older and older without seeing that promise. But you know what I love about Anna? She grew older, but she didn't grow colder. She learned to see the light in the midst of darkness. She was a senior in age, but a child at heart. Because she trusted her Heavenly Father to speak and to bring to pass those things that were hoped for. Okay? Because her heart was at peace with what God promised, he knew, or she knew, that he would also perform it. He would do what he said he would do. She didn't have a husband to hope in. She didn't have any natural means to hope in somebody naturally. So she knew she could only trust in Jesus, who, interestingly enough, is the Prince of Peace. Anna found Jesus in Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace. Too many of us are holding on to hope in a season without peace. And I honestly believe that the hopes we're holding on to without being at peace are actually not God's hopes, but they're our own hopes in hoping that they can mask and cover over the pain of a, of a moment we're living in without peace. So I want you to understand this morning, hopes will be fulfilled when you're in a place of peace. They will. Absolutely. And in this case, a person of peace. The Prince of Peace, Jesus. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love the fact that we didn't talk, Brianna and I, about worship, but we sang a song this morning about living hope. It was right in the words this morning. Because God wants to speak to you today, not just about a dead hope, not about dreams gone by, but about a living hope that's only found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Ravi Zacharias, great apologist, said this, outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in this world. That cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. It is it. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. All of God's promises and all of God's earthly activity is centered on Jesus. That's why our vision for this house has always been since day one. We want to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. That's the heart of this house. It's always been and it will always be. He's our Prince of Peace, but He's also our living hope. Amen? I want to end with a thought from Billy Graham. And then we're going to take communion together this morning. He said this, Our world today is so desperately hungers for hope, yet uncounted people have almost given up. There is despair and hopelessness on every hand. Let us be faithful in proclaiming the hope that is in Jesus. Life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Him is a hopeless end. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.